welcome to another inspirational message from City Life Center Church. If you were ever in the area, come visit one of our services. We would love to meet you. Enjoy the message. Let's read our scripture together for 2016, our theme scripture for our Adventure Highway theme for the year. Come on. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Are you in? All right, let's go. God bless you guys. Hey, I tell you what, before you have a seat, stay standing. I want us to pray right now. You know, uh, just a, it's kind of a serious note, though. I want us to stay standing and just pray. And, uh, this this violence that happened in in Orlando, and just okay, keep some music going here if you want. But but uh, just this, you know, in, in, violence in the name of religion is so wrong. <laughs> you know, I, I don't care what what it is, but this this you know this uh, Islamic radicalism. Let's just call it a spirit of antichrist. It's a spirit of violence and a spirit of disruption and confusion. To, uh, to walk into this place and kill 50-plus people now. Um, it's just wrong. We just need to pray. We need to pray against that, and we need, we need to pray for the spirit of life to overtake it. So, God, I, right now, we just pray for the victims' families and those who are struggling and dealing with this tragedy in Orlando today. I pray for the... I pray for the life and the love and the power of the Holy Spirit to flood that area. God, I pray for the, uh, the, the citizens of Orlando, the churches of Orlando that are, that are coming together today just in shock of what happened right there in their own city. I pray for you to, uh, for you to give them strategies of effectiveness to love these hurting people. And God, we just pray also that the spirit of violence and disruption, and uh, that, that, it will, that it will stop in Jesus' name. I pray that you will protect, that you will watch over, and that you will comfort uh, communities and cities across America, but especially in Orlando today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can have a seat. I want you to open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Ephesians 2, verse 8. It's near the very back of your Bible. Hey, I'd love for you to have lunch with me today. Guys, it is our partnership lunch day. And, uh, and, and this is your opportunity just to hear my story about the story of the church and what makes us unique. And, and I love this. We're not having one for a couple more months. So, so please just stay after and join me for lunch today if you've not been a part of one yet. Uh, we all, the food's already coming. And we'll have child care, so you might as well do it, okay? Hey, the Bible, you know, it, it's a story. In fact, this, this series we're in called What's Your Story? And, and the Bible, that's, that's really what it is. It's a big, big story. It's a collection of small stories that make up one big story, and it's the story of God. God has a story to share. God's story basically introduces us to what we read earlier, uh, what we said aloud. He introduces us to the ancient path the good way, the narrow way, the way that leads to life. And in his story, in the word of God, we learn how to have peace and rest for our souls, just like the scripture said. And, and I relate to God through that story. That's why I love reading the Bible. But in college, I was required to take four semesters of this thing called systematic theology. Any of you guys ever have to take 
four semesters of systematic theology. There are no hands up in the room. Let me just tell you guys in case, oh yes, I see hands. Yeah, you ministry people, yeah, I understand. You, yeah, I know the colleges you went to. All right, I'll just tell you, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm into all that stuff, but it was miserable. It, it, Mr. Wyckoff, he was a godly man. He was a good man. He was a career educator. He was unbelievably boring. I mean, he would just stand there and be so stale and read out of the book. And, and we were, we, sometimes, I mean, we were like nice, educated college adults, and we would make pictures of him, like, like junior high students, like, look at him, he was just standing there, like a Mr. Robot. We couldn't hear what he was saying. He was great at dispensing information, but the data about God it never was really fully captured or retained by me in that class. I passed and everything, but, but, but and I'm not against, you know, what they're actually teaching me in systematic theology, because I eventually got it. I mean, hey, look out here I am. But, but, but these series of classes, what they did is they stripped the principles and the concepts and the truths about God out of the stories. And now what systematic theology does is it takes the information, the data about God, and it puts it into books. And I'm just to be honest with you, it makes it unbelievably stale. Yet on the other hand, God is not stale at all. <laughs> so why the disparity? Well, it's because we don't relate to God through a list of facts. Here are some facts about God. God is three persons and one God. God has always existed and will always exist. God created humanity and God loves humanity. God is omniscient. God became humanity to redeem humanity. God is omnipresent. God is love. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for his food. By our hands we are fed. We thank him for our daily bread. Amen. Are you guys deeply moved about God through that? Well, hey, the truth, it's all true. And it's actually all powerful truth. But you can't relate to God through data alone. Probably the most inspiring part was the little childhood prayer that I echoed back to you at the very end because it just felt right. See, so what God did is God gave us stories so we can relate to him. And that's what the Bible is. The Bible is this love story. It's a story of broken trust. It's a story of the ebb and flow of a relationship. It's a story of highs and lows of successes and failures. It's a story that's filled with drama and a lot of intrigue. And we relate to God through that story. Now, it's also the same with people. We relate to people through their stories and by spending time with them. It's very simple. Uh, by getting to know them, by hearing their passions, discovering their interests, hearing about their journey. But you can never relate to people through a list of facts. For example, here are some facts about me. I'm 50 years old. I have uh, salt and pepper hair, heavy on the salt, light on the pepper. I am uh, male, blue eyes. I wear glasses or contacts depending upon the day of the week. I have one wife, three sons, two chihuahuas. I'm an ordained minister. I'm the lead pastor at City Life Center. Now, was that powerful or what? <laughs> See, it's factual, but it sounds like some kind of a boring, stale resume. And, and uh, so it's much better to really hear my stories. Now, when, when we tell our stories and how actually God is working in our lives, then we've compounded things. It's not just us talking about us. It's, it's now we're not, we're not just relating to other people through our life stories. Now we're relating to God and helping other people to relate to God through our stories. It's, uh, often that's called a testimony. Uh, 
When I was a, a kid, I, I experienced this a lot in church and because a testimony is basically simply a story of what God has done with you, how God has walked with you, how God has delivered you or comforted you, brought you through rough patches, how God has redeemed you. But we used to have these things in church called testimony service when I was a kid. And, and did any of you guys know, remember testimony services? You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you have been around church a long time. Some of you are way too young to know it, so you went to a traditional church. Right, well, let me just tell you this. So the way it worked for us, my dad was the pastor, is testimony service would come around every once in a while on a Sunday evening. And I like testimony services because I was going to hear some wild stories. And, and I'd go home going, whoa, there are some messed up people at our church that God rescued. You know, really, it was kind of that, that thing. And it was always so cool to hear, hear the stories and, and also to relate to the people and to relate to God through those stories. And then to go home and listen to my dad going, I can't believe they said those words in church, you know. But, but I loved it because God would get the attention and not us. See, our stories basically reiterate that it's only by grace that we've come this far. Ephesians 2.8, Paul says it this way. Take a look at it in your Bibles. He says, it is by grace, say grace, grace, grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. In other words, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's not from you. It's from God. Doesn't matter how hard you try, you can't get your life saved on your own. It's a gift from God. It's a gift of God. Look at this. It says, not by works so that no one can boast. Say boast. Say it again, boast. All right. Nobody can boast about what God has done for them because it's not anything you could ever get from God on your own. So because of what God's done for us, on his own, just because he loves us, then we have a responsibility back. It says, for we are, look at this as it continues to go on. This is one solid statement. For we are God's workmanship, handiwork, excuse me. We are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a cause and effect. God gives grace. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. But then that grace comes into our lives and then we now actually become these agents of change in the world. It's pretty cool. Now, there are things we do like boasting about. And, uh, and let's be honest, we, we achieve or accomplish certain things and we like to boast about it. And, and, you know, you feel like sharing that information on social media. And I think you know, that's, that's fine. It's not necessarily evil. It's just something that we do. And we often do it to inspire or to encourage others. And, but when you hang that degree on your wall, basically what you're doing is you're making a statement that you have worked hard and you have accomplished something. And that's great. If you're wearing a wedding band, it's a testimony that you have given your life to someone else. And you have chosen to serve them for better, for worse, unconditionally. See, it's, it's a statement about positive choices. It's a, it's a statement of encouragement to others. That's why we wear it. That's why I put it out there. And, and it's okay to even post a picture of your wedding band on social media. But, and for me, like right now, I don't even mind posting about progress I've made with my leg. In fact, I intentionally uh, did a little Facebook post this morning. At the beginning of the early service, I had 27 likes. I don't even know where I am now. I'm probably like 29. But... Uh, 
If I'm getting likes all through church, then I know that people are not like in, paying attention to the sermon. They're just on social media. Don't like it during church because I'll, I'll, I'll call you out on it. No, but if you don't know this, I actually broke my patella back in October and my left leg was immobilized for seven weeks. And this was, this was being done while the bone fused. Uh, during this entire time while I, I was immobilized, I was experiencing this rapid atrophy. And I didn't really quite know what that was, but then I figured it out after our, after it was all over with, and it's where your muscle just kind of disappears. But during this time, I still went to the gym three days a week. Now, why would I do that? For me, it was because I was insisting that the dark valley would not control me. If I could get in my car, if I could go, even if it took me hours to get up, get up and do it, whatever, I would still go in to do it. And when my physical therapy started, I then... I wasn't immobilized anymore, but still really had nothing there. And, and I, but I slowly increased my trips to the gym to five to six times per week on crutches, yes, wearing a brace. And, and, and one time they, they, they closed the gym before I could even get out and the lights automatically turned off in the locker room. It's pitch black and I'm back there yelling. Like, I can't walk. I have to have a brace. I'm on crutches. And the guy comes back with his flashlight to help me you know, put on my brace. It's totally humiliating. But, but the thing is, during this time, I just kept seeing the physical therapist. I would go two to three times a week and do that and keep going to the gym. And the truth is, is now I'm still regaining that lost muscle. Uh, I, I'm regaining flexibility in my tendons. And, and my physical therapist says by Thanksgiving or by Christmas, I will actually be stronger in this leg than I even was before. And I, I like watching the long-term progress because I have to look at it that way because I'll be candid with you. It's very easy for me to get bogged down in... In, in my reality that I can't jump, I can't run, and I can't jog. Uh, my, my little health app that is on my phone records my every step so, so I can actually see my month-by-month -month progress of how many steps I'm taking. And it's kind of fun to look at that because it helps me out. See, last, September, last September, I had a great month and I was averaging about 8,000 steps per day. But by mid-October, everything changed because bam, the knee went out and that's, that was it. So a fat, like a normal day of walking for me, if you want to call it walking, which is really crutching, was about 200 steps. Uh, and, and so my step count dropped significantly, but the numbers have been significantly and steadily increasing since then. Month by month, I am getting closer to my original goal of averaging 8,000 steps a day, and I believe that by this September, I'll be back to where I was. And I was really excited that just a couple of weeks ago, I accomplished something huge on, on my, little, my little app. I did 10,000 steps in one day. And that's the first time I had done that since October 18th of last year. I was so excited. It's just like, yes, progress. And, and I'm stronger because I've worked for it. I'm stronger because I've paid the price and I'm now reaping the benefits. And let this be an encouragement to you also. Uh, you know, wherever you are, you just keep moving forward. In a few months, I'll be able to jog and run as much as I desire. But I don't like really desire to do that. I'm not going to do races. I'm not going to do marathons, any of that kind of stuff. I don't like it in the first place. But, but I do like to just to get out and move around, if you can't tell. In August, I'm going to be at this conference in New York, and, and I have plans. And I told my physical therapist this last December, I said, I have plans to watch the sunrise over New York City from the middle of the Brooklyn Bridge, like I do every time that I go there. And I said, I want to be able to jog out there. He goes, when is that going to be? I, I, he, I said, August. He said, maybe. Uh, because if you're going to say June, I'd say no way. And I was like, what are you talking about? But I see now. 
I can't wait just to jog out there on that day, and I'm really hoping I'll be able to do that in a few weeks. But you know what? It's, it's great to celebrate accomplishments. And that's one thing I just, that's just a little thing. I, I want to do that because I want to get better. And it's good to talk about how far we've come and the obstacles we've pushed through in life. But I'm telling you, there are some things in life that we can't boast about, and it's just simply God's grace. Sure, you've put faith into action and you've worked diligently and, and, and we all know that's that, the, the reality that God is behind it all with you. But God works in you and through you and, and therefore, because God is doing so much for you, we have a responsibility back to God. And that responsibility back to God is wrapped up very much in one of our core values right here at City Life and it's what we call our value of intention. In fact, this I, I've actually personalized this for you and I wrote this out to make it real, to make it personal. And I want to read this to you because I, I'm reading this to you from my heart. And I, this, is, this is where I want to be. I want to be this person of intention. Of course, us as a congregation, but for you as well. So I, I say it this way, because I carry the Holy Spirit living as salt and light, bringing other people to a knowledge of his truth. And because my life has purpose and God placed me into this world to change atmospheres and because I choose to make Jesus known by sharing him with others, I will be bold. I will develop creative strategies with my activities. I will focus my efforts on possibilities yet unseen. I will resist a haphazard approach to life and ministry. Ministry is helping people. I will proactively focus upon strategic activities that advance the activity of the Holy Spirit. I will proactively focus upon building relationships that advance the work of God. And God has placed me in the heart of one of the largest metropolitan areas in America. And I will steward the innumerable opportunities around me for Jesus. That's one of our values, personalized. I think we should even do that with scriptures and things like that. Let's make this real. Let's, let's make it personal. This value of intention is serious stuff. Colby Erickson, we interviewed him recently. He's one of the awesome guys here in our church. Um, talked to him say, hey, talk to us about intention in your life and what's going on. And I want you guys to hear Colby's story this morning. Let's take a look at it.
Pretty awesome. Good job. In fact, it's such a good job, I might as well just end the sermon now and just let him say he said it. Uh, it's kind of funny because I put together a lot of the notes and outlined preliminary stuff for this message. And when I saw his, the rough cut of his video last week, I went, well, he just stole my whole sermon there. And, and then I, thought, I, w- I went back to like, wait a minute, I want to listen to it again because he said some things in his story that are better than the way I'm saying it in the sermon. So I changed a few terminology and actually adopted some. So thanks, Colby, for the help with the message today. But actually, what I love about Colby's story is it challenged was me. Actually, it challenges us to change. Here's the deal. I do not want to be the same Tim Woody in June of 2017 that I am today. I don't want to be. I want to grow. I want to change. So how do we change? Well, Simply put, really, it's coming back to this value of intention. We have to be people of intention. People of intention do certain things. And here are some of those things that I put in my notes that Colby stole. And here's one of them. People of intention pursue discipline. What What we actually do is we seek out accountability. You set yourself up for a plan for discipline in your life. And, and you know, we, we live in this culture where there's a lot of pressure on us to be disciplined in certain areas, and so we do it. So you're disciplined in your diet. You're disciplined with exercise. You're disciplined with your education. You're disciplined with your occupation. That's great. Do it. But what about the things that actually matter for eternity after it's all over with on this earth? Because this earth life is this. The rest is infinity. Hey, why not design a plan to be disciplined with your ministry service? A plan for, your, for discipline with your interactions with others and with your Bible reading and your church attendance. Hey, we are all smart people here. I know you guys. And it's really pretty simple. All you have to do, design for yourself a plan for discipline. That is how people pursue intention. Very simple. Second one is, is that people of intention reject busyness. I'm not busy. I'm not. Now, the truth is, I schedule tight, but I'm not busy. Why? I've just made the choice that my life counts. That's not an arrogant statement because it should be about you too. Your life counts. So I don't, I don't say that. You're not going to hear me say, I've just been so busy. Uh, I, I get that sometimes. People say, now, pastor, I know you're busy, but it's like, no, no, no. I I usually stop people unless it's someone I don't know because I don't want to embarrass them. I usually stop people saying, no, I'm not busy. I just schedule tight. Really, stop saying you're busy and start scheduling your life. When I was 25 years old, I was working in a large church on a ministry staff, and it was very, very demanding. Uh, and, and I thought at that time I was way too busy, especially when God then dropped a, a young baby into our life that cried all night long and his name was Preston Woody. And, and, and I honestly, at that time, I really didn't even know what to think. And finally, I heard this John Maxwell teaching. I would get his cassette tape of the month. Any of y'all know what a cassette tape is? Man, it is this cool thing. Uh, you can like fast forward, you and it's, just, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and the only thing is when you're done with it, it doesn't like disappear into cyberspace anymore. It's still there. And then it melts in your car when you're a Texan. But, but, uh, 
I, I had this John Maxwell tape, tape that I kept very safe in my office, and, and I, I listened to it. And, and, and in this tape, it was really interesting because he struck me with something that stuck with me ever since then. He said he was pastoring a church in Southern California at the time. Today, he's a big, nation's largest leadership guru, if not in the world. And he said, typically for a pastor, a healthy zone for the number of hours you work in a week is 55 to 75 hours a week. Any pastor's kid would say, yeah, I know that. I've seen that in my home. Any pastor would say, yeah. But, and, 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 but for me, it was revelation, even though I was raised in a pastor's home. Basically, he said this. He said, if you're working less than 55, you're not able to accomplish what you need, and you know and you feel it, you're just underperforming. If you're working over 75, you actually begin to impact your family and your health, and you have to correct that. So his recommendation was track your hours once, once a year so you can kind see where you are. And I took him up on that for several years. I did that. I don't anymore, but, but I did it then. Now I have my rhythms together and I, I feel a little bit better about having some control of, over that. But I discovered this for through several years of doing this. I would take a whole week chart every hour. I discovered that I would average about 65 hours per week working. And then I would sleep an average of 45 to 50 hours a week. So this left me with 53 to 58 hours hours on average for everything else. So what in the world was I doing with all of that other time that I didn't think I had? I discovered that I had a lot of wasted time. I wasn't too busy. I was not living with intention. That's when I decided I'm just going to start scheduling tight. And, and I'm just telling you guys, reject busyness. In your own schedule, be a person of intention, especially in the big city culture. See, people of intention also take, uh, take in and absorb and receive from the scriptures every day. Bible reading, do it. I mean, do it on purpose. Do it with intention. Expect that when you're reading the Bible, God's going to speak to you. And you need to ask this question. Here's a question. Like, when I get the Bible, I ask God, what are you speaking to me? What do you want to say to me? This morning, I was, I was in the word of God. Long before um, any of you were up, most likely, it was not, I would say bright and early, but it wasn't bright. It was dark and early. And, and I was up in the scriptures and not to prepare for the sermon, not to get ready for anything, except just, to, just for God to talk to me. And, and got into the scriptures and God started talking to me. Like, oh God, you have to bring that up now. God, what are you speaking to me? It's like, okay, yes, God, thank you. So here's my question to you. If we were to sit face to face, what, what, what is God, uh, actually, what are you reading in the scriptures? And what is God specifically speaking to you? Now, if you couldn't answer those questions, if we were one-on-one, face to face, then my challenge to you, it's not, not to embarrass you, but my challenge to you is to Put together a Bible reading plan. Download your YouVersion Bible app. You can even follow me and my Bible plans on YouVersion. I was kind of excited this morning. I looked at it like, wow, it says that I've completed like 49 uh, uh, Bible reading plans. And I thought, that, that's great. That's good. That's fine. You know, set a goal for yourself. You can even see the scriptures that I highlight and follow along with me. And you can even see it when I miss a day. You can get on me. It's like, Pastor Tim, do you even care about God anymore? You know, Reject, here's another thing that you can do as a person of attention, is to reject, not excuse me, reject, it's reduce waste. I'm not talking about recycling. No, not talking about landfills. Although there may be some stuff in your life that needs to go in a landfill. They can build another park for you to go play in. But I'm talking really about time wasters. That's the biggest waste that we have that we don't even talk about a lot in our culture. 
time wasters that are actually an attempt for you to escape from the reality of what you're facing in life. And this comes in the form quite often of video games, entertainment, Netflix. It can also come in the form of alcohol, drugs, and other things that are just going to pull you away. I'm telling you guys, that is a fake world. All of it, it's a fake world. Now, I'm not against video games and entertainment and Netflix. No, I'm not against them, but I'm just not for the way that they strip away massive hours of the gift, the precious gift of time that God has equally distributed to all of us. It strips you of your emotions and your hearts as well. I had to sit with families and couples where, where marriages are falling apart because of a video game that is sucking away days and days and hours and weeks of a person's life. I'm telling you, men, especially real adventure, it's not on video games. That's folk. It's, it's fake. It's phony. Folk. <laughs> it's whatever. I, but real excitement is not on Netflix. You guys, Everyone, please hear me. There's way too much waste in our lives. Time wasters, emotion wasters, energy wasters, and they do nothing for us. In fact, they drain us emotionally as well. Now, if you're like me, and many of you are, and you're, maybe you work an average of 65 hours a week too, you probably do. If you are spending, let's just say, an easy three hours a day on that kind of stuff. Do you realize that you have now consumed and thrown in the trash one third of your flexible time every week? Hey, that's just practical stuff. Schedule tight. Be a person of intention by reducing waste. Give it to the landfill. People of intention also, they embrace consistency with ministry service. Now, why do we serve in the church? And it's like, we know we should, but why do we do it? Well, you know, because intention is all about faith and action. It's about putting feet to your faith. Well, that's why we do it. We actually do something with our faith. I, I, I want us to give up false strategies of uh, meandering through life, of just existing or doing a bunch of things but you're just spinning your wheels, doing a lot of, like, like Colby said, doing a lot of something that adds up to nothing. Don't be that guy that says, oh, I'm so exhausted from Netflix. And I know, I'm, I don't know, I'm picking on Netflix today. It, it, I don't even have Netflix, so I don't even know. But, but I do know this. I see from time to time people say, like their description of themselves, like on, on social profile, they'll, they'll say, I, I'm addicted to Netflix. I'm like, oh, please, if you're a city lifer, do not put that. But not that any of you do, I don't know. But I'm just saying I've seen it before. I need to stop right there. But listen, don't be coming in saying, oh, I'm so exhausted from Netflix. I can't open the door and, and help people into church today because my fingers are so wore out from the remote and I'm exhausted. No, in other, instead, help people with the skills that you have. Put feet to your faith. Serving in your church on a regular basis is one of the best ways to put feet to your faith because people come here in need of an encounter from God and you are rolling out the red carpet for them for that to happen. And you do it by ministering to that little child while they're in service. And it may be the only time that parent is actually away from that child all week long so they can hear from God. 
by creating quality media to accentuate the message, by, by cleaning the building and, and giving a warm and hospitable greeting and cleaning out the cigarette butts outside or, or, or inviting that stranger that you meet to coffee or to lunch or even helping to host the partnership lunch here this afternoon. In fact, one of the most practical things you can do with that, take a step today, is to take out your Connect card and just jot, check off a few things on the back. Seriously, it's really easy. And just say, here's some things that I might be interested in. Turn it into Connect over there, and, and someone will get back with you. And you're not signing up for life. Don't worry about that. And, and we believe around here, actually, that everyone should take breaks. We have a healthy culture for serving. But see, people of intention embrace consistently, consistency in their ministry service. Also, people of intention pursue life-giving relationships. Uh, being alone in an attempt to build yourself up is not healthy, and guys, it doesn't work. See this as coming home. See this as, as coming to even be around, even church, just, just being around other believers so that life is infused. That's why we say welcome home. That's why they have the welcome home. Someone was telling me between services that their, their little child, they, they brought him up to the church today. The little child says, oh, we're home. And I go, wow, what a testimony. See, there's a new book out, and it's called How to Be Miserable. And, and, and one of the major points that the author makes in this book is that if you are isolating yourself hoping that it's going to make you feel better, you are actually making yourself more miserable. Now, I kind of, I look at that, it's like, yes, yes, you know, that's been in the Bible for thousands of years, and I sure am glad that science is finally catching up with the Bible. But what we need to do is find others and pursue relationships. See, people of intention pursue life-giving relationships. You have to pursue it on your own. But how do you do it? Well, actually, it's by investing in another person. There's two simple ways we do it. It's always worked. It's been this way forever. You spend time with that person and you hear that person's stories. That's like how we get to know God. We spend time with God, worship, prayer, getting to know him. We hear his stories. We're in the word. See, God himself is a person. Therefore, that's how we get to know him. And why does God set it up that way? So that we can relate to him, so we can understand God's passion, so that we can receive from him and partner with him and have relationship with God. And Jesus, though, he also made it clear that relationships also must go two ways. There is this vertical uh, relationship where it's us relating to God. God, but Jesus also made it clear that just as important, we must have the horizontal relationships of us relating to other people. In fact, Jesus said, if you do that and you do that well through love, then you're actually able to accomplish anything that's in the Bible. Now, now I have a relationship in, um, I'd call it an initiation tool that helps us to get uh, engaged in relationships. And I share this at City Life from time to time. And, and this is something I strongly urge you to use in building your interpersonal relationships because it is a great way to get to know others. You simply hear their story and you begin to connect with them at a deeper level. Hear their story. Say the word story. Story. So you begin to hear, hear them on a deeper level. So in order to do that, there has to be, someone has to speak. Say speak. Speak. Okay, speak is the key word. Look, now we have S-P-E-A-K. Look at that. Story, passion, encourage, assist, no. This is, this is it. This is it. When you do this, you're going to have deep ministry, which is helping people, and it will help you with that. And you're going to find life uh, with your interactions with other people. What I'm about to, ready to share with you is, is very practical, and it is also powerfully spiritual, if you'll let it be. Here's how it works. First of all, S, story. 
you ask the question, what's your what? Sorry, easy. It's the first question to ask when starting a conversation. Ask those words and that other person will dive in and you might be need, need to prepare to, to spend all evening listening to them. But, but the truth is, is they're gonna think you're a brilliant conversationalist as you listen to them. Oh, what you do is just let them get started. You ask them the question, what's your story? And then you keep your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, it's not about you telling you, but you receive from them hearing their story and something begins to actually happen in you. See, people love to talk about themselves and I guarantee you will learn things that you never even knew about that other person. And after you've heard the backdrop of that person's life by hearing their story, you actually begin to understand them better. So then the next question takes it in just a little bit deeper. S-P-E-A-K, first to speak, the second then is passion. You ask him, what are you passionate about? You might say, but I don't like using the word passion. I know, but I probably wouldn't do that either. Maybe, maybe not. Depends on the person, but it works good with speak. You see, how you can figure out another word for there. So, so we're going to say passion. And you don't have to use it, but you can just say, hey, what gets you jazzed up? What, what are you interested in? What gets your adrenaline going? What gets you up in the morning or what revs your engine? What are your interests? People love to talk about their passions. You'll see their eyes come to life when you do that. Why? It's because they're passionate about it. And the truth is, you're going to learn something about that other person that you had no idea existed, even if you've known them for a long time. Most of the time, actually, when I ask that question, I'm very surprised. And I see that person come to life. So what's your story? What are you passionate about? Third is encourage. Encourage is that third word. And, and, and here's what you do. You basically just encourage them. Something like, I love what you're saying. Tell me more about yourself. So you give them encouragement. Uh, just, just encourage them in the areas that they talked about. Don't, I mean, don't go like, oh, that is so stupid. <laughs> do you want to hear me about me? Because I'm so much better than you. you no, know, don't do that, all right? Because they've just exposed their life and their passion to you, and they're in a vulnerable position. So what you would do is build them up and encourage them and edify them without trying to tell them all about how special you are. Because you are special. But, but you know what? Hear their story. People's lives have changed because someone actually listened to them and encouraged them in an area of passion. Encourage. All right, so story, passion, and courage. Assist is the next one, which says, how can I assist you or help you? In fact, I would say this is probably the most Christ-like question we can ask. How can I serve you? How can I benefit you? How can I add value to you? This is where you actually have an opportunity to help the other person. And they might say, well, give me a million dollars. Well, you don't have a million dollars, but I sure would, you know, if I had it, if I had plenty of money, I'd be glad to help you out, but I can't. You don't know what they're gonna ask, but I've never had someone put something out that, that was totally ridiculous. Many times I can't help them with it, but I can find a way to encourage them. See, when people came to Jesus, do you know the most common question Jesus responded back to them with? He said, what can I do to help you? What would you like for me to do for you? That's Christ-like, is to assist. That's where you become a servant. How can I assist you? In other words, how can I, some of you want to do ministry? That's it, you assist. How can I minister to you, except I couldn't put minister there because it would be spemic, and <laughs> that's weird. All right, so, so that's it. So speak is story, passion, encourage, assist. And the last one is no with a K, no. I would like to connect you with 
and you connect them with someone else because this broadens their world. Uh, you're blessing them. You're connecting them with another person. Like, who do you know that has a story with similar elements? Uh, who do you know that has another passion like them? Or who do you know that can help them grow or, or could, could help them to serve in another area? I mean, do a connection because connections release life and you are now a life giver. If you do this, you're going to find yourself growing deep in relationships. And, and also, honestly, if you, if you do this, this is one of, the, w- one of the most simple ways that genuine Christian love can occur. It's healthy. Now, you can choose to keep your walls up and stay away from people because, well, somebody hurt me back in 1994, and I don't know if I can ever open up to anyone again. Well, you have to let go of that. Let God heal you of that. You don't want to keep being miserable. Don't hide behind a plastic facade. Don't be a churchy person that acts like everything's perfect in your life and you know it's not. There's no life there. That, my friend, is misery. Begin to open up. Build, build community and relationships. Invite other people into your, into your community. Be a person of intention. See, you are the only person who can live your life, according to the great theologian, Colby Erickson. <laughs> God has gifted you. God desires to bring meaning into the lives of others through your life. And you think your life doesn't matter? My friend, that is a lie. You think you're not good enough? That is a lie. There's this old saying, and many of you have heard it, and it's kind of been thrown out before to try to beat people down. It's like, oh, you just think you're God's gift to the world. (laughs) Well, you are God's gift to the world. (laughs) He's poured his grace into you. He rescued you. Therefore, you serve him with intention and you become a gift of God to your family, to your church, to your city, to your world. That is intention and God wants to use you to do it. And I don't care how bad your life has been. God wants to take the ruins of your life and bring beauty out of it and let your light shine. He loves you so much. I, I want you to embrace the love of God, and the grace of God so much, you can't help but be a person of intention. Will you stand with me, please? I want you guys to look at the screen because I'm going to ask you to repeat with me this value of intention personalized. You already heard me say it, but, I, but I'm going to ask you to say it with me. Come on, this is a responding time, and we're about ready to pray. And I want you to look at this, and I want you to say this aloud with me. I'm not, there's nothing I'm throwing up on the screen you've not heard before, so I'm not playing a sneaky thing on you, but I want you to say this aloud with me. Come on, say it out loud with me now. Because I carry the Holy Spirit living as salt and light, bringing other people to a knowledge of Jesus and his truth, because my life has purpose and God has placed me in this world to change atmospheres because I choose to make Jesus known by sharing him with others, I will be bold. I will develop creative strategies with my activities. I will focus my efforts on possibilities yet unseen. I will resist a haphazard approach to life and ministry, which is what? helping people. I will proactively focus upon strategic activities that advance the activity of the Holy Spirit. I will proactively focus upon building relationships that advance the work of God. 
God has placed me in the heart of one of the largest metropolitan areas in America, and I will steward the innumerable opportunities around me for who? For who? Please, no movement at this time. Leaders, will you pray? I'm asking everyone to close your eyes. And I want you to focus internally. And if you want to know this Jesus that I keep talking about, if you want a clean slate, you want to live your life with this renewed sense of purpose that you hear in my story, I I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And if you want to be included in this closing prayer to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and to say, I'm going to choose you, Jesus, no matter what, I'm going to ask you to respond by lifting your hand so that I can see it. You see, listen, faith is when we respond outwardly to what is happening inwardly. God loves you so much. He died for you so that you can have life and everything changes today. Will you lift your hand for me and say, I want Jesus today. I want to serve Jesus. Yes. Who else? Who else? I need Jesus today. I need him in my life. I want to serve Jesus Christ. I want to give my life over to him 100%. Will you lift your hand for me? Lift your hand for me. Pastor, that's me. Thank you so much. I'm telling you, if you raise your hand, if you're one of those that raised your hand, I want you along with everyone else in here, this entire congregation of believers, to pray these words with me. Will you do it? Come on, right now. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you're the Son of God. Please forgive my sin. Today I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me. I embrace your grace, and I make the choice to be a person of intention for you, Jesus. Thank you for your freedom. Thank you for your life. Thank you for purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. For more information on how you can get involved with City Life locally, text CONNECT to 41411. Again, that's CONNECT to 41411. Or visit us online at citylifecenter.org. We would love to meet you.